You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day, how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> it's time to saddle up for this adventure on Houndsman XP. Cleve Dwyer has a good mule picked out for you, so you're going to want to grab your boots and your spurs and climb on board as we travel into the high deserts of Nevada to chase some mountain lions on dry ground. You can wear that cowboy hat if you want to, but I'll tell you right now that a cowboy can spot a tin horn a mile away. And make sure you put the buckles for those spurs on the outside of your boots. We are going to tap into Cleve Dwyer and his family's experience with uh, dry ground lion hunting they've been doing this stuff for 20 years folks so they've got some knowledge to share and the cool thing is they are willing to share it 
and Cleve is going to lay out some things on his personal observations with everything from, from what types of hounds they use to uh, mountain lion behavior. If you're thinking about getting into lion hunting, then you're going to want to listen to this one, I'm telling you. And if you're an experienced lion hunter, then you're going to be able to pick up some stuff and see how somebody else does it and maybe does things a little bit different. Or maybe they do them the same and you get uh, justification or validation for what you're doing. So this is going to be a great episode. It's one of those episodes that... uh, as soon as we were done recording, I knew I had to get this thing put together and get it out there as soon as possible. It is that good. The cool thing about it is Cleve Dwyer has willingly decided to share his knowledge with listeners. How cool is that? A guy that makes his living off the back of a mule and with hounds chasing mountain lions for hunters is willing to teach us. And so hats off to Cleve. I also want to mention, this is going to be brief, but I want to mention the Patreon uh, drawing that we're going to have in September. And you need to be signing up for Patreon ASAP if you want to be included in this drawing. We've got uh, a Dakota 283 G3 medium kennel and a Dash 3.5. It's a watering tank. Pretty cool stuff. You can check them out at Dakota283.com and see what we're giving away, but we're talking about $475, almost $500 worth of merchandise that we're giving away to one person. And there's three ways that that you can be eligible to get into this drawing. One is if you're currently a Patreon supporter, you're in there, bang. We got you covered. We've already got your name in the hat. The next way is we're waiting to put your name in the hat. So go over there and join us on Patreon, ASAP, to get involved in this drawing, we're going to draw it in mid-September, but don't delay. I've posted videos on face on our Facebook group about it. Uh, the third way is if if you are a Patreon supporter, then refer somebody to us. Okay, when they sign up, have them send us an email with who referred them. You can send that to Seth, and his email address is seth.houndsmanxp at gmail.com. So when somebody signs up, you send them that way. Make sure that they send us that. And when we get that referral, we will put your name in an additional time so you can multiply your chances to win. Another big announcement about Patreon. This week, Thursday night, we are launching a crowdcast. It's a live broadcast. Our Patreon supporters can join us on that platform. Seth is going to be putting out some information on how to register for that event but basically what we're going to do is we're going to have this big houndsman rendezvous on the internet we're going to have different people on board there that that can answer questions you guys can interact we can get to know each other and build this community even tighter it's great to see all the uh, interaction that we're having on our facebook group platform there if you're not a member get over there and join up That group is called Houndsman XP Podcast Group, and we're putting all the latest information out there. So if you want information about anything to do with this podcast, that's the most current and easiest place for you to find it. I'm putting together and have put together several videos that I've done on raising this litter of puppies that I have right now, 
and getting great response, great conversation. And some of the most accomplished houndsmen that are alive today are commenting in that group. So it's a great place for anybody of any experience level to pick up information and make contact with some of the, some of the elite houndsmen in our community. So don't pass that up. We've got these mules saddled up. We got one standing over there waiting for you. Cleve tells me he's just a little bit bronchy, but you want to be a real cowboy. It's time to see what you got. Get those doors open on that old South dog box. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Let's continue. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't, yeah, it's kind of like an emoji, but on your, on your live stream. Yeah. Yeah, you can do all kinds of stuff with it. Yeah, thank you. Yep, I can get I can get groovy and cool with it. But I'm gonna start it right here with the mountain lion face on the uh, Zoom call, just so we can get in the spirit of this thing, Cleve. I got the buckskin too. Yeah, cheers. You got one right there. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, we're like having a virtual beer together on on uh zoom here Pretty oh yeah cool. yeah they are delicious they <laughs> almost almost like lucky charms magically delicious yes very much yeah so. so cleve uh you know we'll just we'll get right into what we're going to talk about but uh here eventually i guess maybe we ought to do a little bit of introduction but uh so you'd reached out to me and sent me some notes about uh, dry ground mountain lion hunting. And, and as I looked through them, I was like, wow, this is, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And uh, before we get into to some of those topics that you want to talk about, I'm just going to kind of let you run with it and just add where I can, because I don't know anything about dry ground lion hunting and, and have enough information about lion hunting to be dangerous. So I think it's cool. And I've, I've got some I've got some uh, cool gear that makes me look good when I'm on the mountain chasing lions, but that's about it. I got you. Yeah. Well, everybody, everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so tell us, tell us where you're at, where you're, where you, uh, just give us an introduction, Cleve. You've been on the podcast before, but uh, refresh everybody's memory. Yeah, we, uh, we operate a mountain lion guide guide service in Nevada, uh, my brother, myself, and my wife, and uh, we typically hunt from, we, we guide clients from October through May, and then the rest of the year, we we, uh, we hunt mountain lions in the summer, but we typically don't take many clients then, you know, occasionally we'll have somebody that wants to go then, but 
most of them are from October through May and and we had dry ground and snow both. We use horses, mules, snow machines, side by sides, whatever it takes to find a lion, get one caught. So yeah. Yeah. And and so how long have you been lion hunting? Uh 21 years. That's pretty you've got a little bit of experience then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been around a little bit. You you've yeah. seen a thing or two. Yeah, yeah, I've caught a handful. Yeah, yeah. So what type what type of hounds are you running? Uh we typically run a crossbred strain out of Arizona. They're bred for dry ground line hunting. Yeah, so they're not as leggy as your your typical hound. They're they're shorter and stockier. So they slow down a little more. They don't overrun tracks as much, but they're also colder nosed. Um, they don't, they wouldn't, I wouldn't say you'd, you'd say they drift a track or anything. They, they're more of a nose to the dirt type of dog. And then we've here in the recent years, we've crossed some beagle into them to keep the size down. We don't like a big dog mm-hmm. mainly because they, uh, they take a lot of water when you're hunting hot weather and they're the big dogs just kind of, they kind of break down after a while. Them, them smaller beagle crosses you can get 12 or 14 years out of them versus a big dog that's say 60 pounds you're you're going to get about nine or ten before he starts breaking down you know it's going to be harder on him so, so you're, you're running some of your hounds up to 12 years old yeah yeah i got i got one out here she still catches lines she'll be 12 here pretty soon and then i got another one he's 12 12 and a half and yeah, he still gets it done. You know, they're most time when track gets warmed up, they're the caboose, you know, they get left in the dust. But mm-hmm. as all young guys know, old guys know what they're doing. So the old the old dogs typically, you know, they, they can sort something out. The young ones sometimes can't. Yeah. So so what do you attribute that to the most, that longevity of these hounds? Mm, I'd say a lot of it's their size, you know, uh, smaller dogs, you know, you're going to get more out of him. And uh, the smaller dog's just going to, he's going to hold up a lot more. You're going to be able to hunt him on average, not all the time, but you're going to hunt him, you'll be able to hunt him more days a week than you can a big dog. You think that's skeletal structure or do you think that's uh, genetic makeup or, or, or what do you think that is? Or is it a combination of both? In my opinion, it's a combination of both. There's a lot to be said for confirmation. You know, uh, I like a dog with good straight legs and, I, I don't want too many of them with their feet pointing out too far. You know, I like them to be straight and cat footed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I kind of lean towards dogs that don't have a whole lot of pink on their feet. Um, and on that point, it's not so much always the dry ground. So that crust of snow will really tear that dog's feet up that have pink feet, pink pigmentation. That's hard on them. Yeah. I, I had a guy that, was going to sell me a pup one time and she had a pink nose and she had pink feet when she was a puppy. Mm-hmm. And when I told him, I was like, man, I don't, I don't think I want a dog with pink nose and pink feet. Um, and he just, he couldn't believe it. You know I mean? She's a beautiful pup. She's marked well, her confirmation was good, but she was, um, uh, her nose did turn black, but it was kind of that pinkish Brown. And then her feet still stayed white. Her toenails were white. And, uh, the one thing that I noticed is the toenails were always soft and you very rarely had to trim her toenails, even here. And we've got a lot of clay ground and stuff and it, we don't have near the, the abrasion and stuff that, that you've got in your country, you know, with your crushed rock and your limestone and, 
you know, sandstone. And I mean, the whole place is a rock. So she would have, she would have been useless, uh, for you, I think, but her feet held up fine here for, you know, coon hunting, squirrel hunting, stuff like that. Never had an issue, but that's one thing I did notice, you know, when you get a, a good dog with good, hard black toenails, you can't trim them enough. <laughs> you know, you can't, it doesn't seem like you can keep them trimmed back. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's like they, they grow faster and you can trim them. If you're hunt, not hunting them for a month or so, you really notice a difference. Yeah. And I can hunt, I can hunt a dog even with black toenails here in this country and, and still have to and hunt them hard and still have to, to trim toenails just because it's soft and it's muddy and, and, uh, not as much, but if you don't hunt them, then you really got to stay on top of them. But one thing I've noticed about, you know, hunting in Arizona and, and dry ground, even in Idaho, it's, it's a little bit different country is, uh, you don't have to trim toenails as much if you're hunting. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they take care of that. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So where do you want to start on this thing? I, do we need to set it up a little bit more? <clears throat> do I need um, to put do i need to put the mountain lion emoji or filter back on so we so we get in the right mood here there we go <laughs> no no i'll be having a hard time keeping a straight face <laughs> you don't yeah. have to keep a straight face you don't yeah. have to it's better when you don't keep a straight yeah, face I yeah i know but uh yeah that was oh uh, you can keep it there it's kind of distracting but i don't care <laughs> I won't get, take it off. gets me in the tiger mode <laughs> but, uh, that's right that's right so where do we want to start uh, we could we could start with um, how to hunt dry ground mountain lions. There, I know there's a lot of questions on on how to hunt dry ground. I get a lot of you know, a fair amount of novice hunters that call me that I know, you know, through mutual friends and whatnot, and they ask, you know, how how do I do that? How do I get my dogs to do that? And most time, I I tell them, like, well, first of all, you probably don't have the right kind of dogs. But that being said, you can take you can take your dogs and teach them to slow down and work a track like they should on dry ground and a lot of those guys say well how do i do that well let's start off is, let's start off with describing what your definition of dry ground is uh, my my definition of dry ground is hardly any snow at all maybe maybe 90 percent bare ground you know mm -hmm. it's a patch of snow here and there that's in my opinion that cat counts as dry ground because they're not in that snow long they're still often use their nose, but my definition of dry ground is also, you know, no snow and pretty dry dirt. You know, out here in Nevada, we we got really dry conditions. It's the driest region in North America, so it's it's tough. So, yeah, I, th uh, I think a lot of kind of dog. Right, I think a lot of people overlook that fact. I mean, you could have snow, in you know, a hundred hundred foot elevation change go from desert to snow and couple hundred feet and but nevada is dry yeah especially this year yeah, yeah. It's, it's real dry yeah, it's really bad that yeah yeah just having having dry conditions makes it tougher that being said you know there's there's guys in the northwest that are in that heavy timber country and they get a lot of precipitation a lot of moisture and that helps that helps lion hunting a little bit because it keeps that dog cool so you take one of them dogs down here and he's going to have a hard time trailing dry ground line. That's that being said, they'd probably take my dog up there and they'd say, man, this thing doesn't tree worth a crap, you know, or he, 
they don't keep up with my dogs, you know, cause their dogs are going to be drifting that track somewhat, you know, a fair mm-hmm. amount of time. Cause they're going to be in that shade and heavy ferns and grass and it's going to be cooler. might be high humidity, but it might be cooler also. So they can, they can drift that track a little more also. My dogs would be in the back, you know, they'd yeah. probably kill, they'd probably kill wine. My dogs would become trailing into it, you know? Sure. And, but, uh, but that being said out here in the desert, you got to have a cold nose gotta have a dog that strikes you can't have a dog that's hanging out with you all day long he's got to be out there and i will i want him out 20 30 yards something like that and uh hunting slow and and not going too fast i like a dog that keeps his nose to the dirt and hunts the brush good i, I don't really care for dogs that keep their head high i don't like high-headed dogs that kind of just trot up the road that that doesn't do any good that don't that doesn't catch me lines that's that's completely opposite from back east here you know if you've got a bear dog that's going going we call it footstep to footstep then you're not going to catch many bear and um uh we want dogs to get their head up off the ground and can flat move out because like you alluded to you know we've got a lot different terrain we've got well we had half an inch of rain today you walk out on the edge of my yard right here i live in a big wooded area i mean it the, the brush is thick and and it's the undergrowth is thick, but it looks like a daggone rainforest, you know? So that, that country, that type of terrain holds a lot more scent. So I want a dog and it, and it elevates on that vegetation. So I want a dog that picks his head up and moves out. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise you don't, you don't get much accomplished. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we were going down a path there and we're going to start talking about, you were talking about some different things that that you're looking for in dry ground dogs and you need a dog that's got its head down. Uh, you want to head a dog that can really, I've seen some of the pictures that you guys have posted of your hounds on, on social media, you know, mm-hmm. where the, where the front of the face is, I mean, they've got the hair worn off the front of their nose from where they're trying to grab out every scent. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll wear the hide right off their lips down to where it looks like somebody put lipstick on them you know and, yeah uh, yeah they, they wear it all the way down that's that's what i like and if i don't have a dog that does that i have a hard time keeping him that being said sometimes you'll get a dog that's a little bit warmer nosed out of the same litter that the rest of them are cold nosed and that little bit warmer nosed dog he'll be the one that he'll be what we call a free up dog he'll free up once that track gets warmed up or as a shorty gorm kind of refers to him as like a swing dog yeah. Are kind of like the same same kind of thing. They'll free up when that track gets warmed up and and they're most time they're the one that bite that bites that line on the ass, you know, makes him go climb a tree or catches him and and then not too far behind them, the other dogs are there. So Yeah. But uh, that's that's always nice to have a couple dogs like that. And we always do have a couple like that, but they they also need to be able to grub out and trail a tough dry ground track too. But uh but yeah, you you got your anchor dogs, as we call them. They keep the track. They don't really lose it. And then you got you got a couple that don't trail quite as intense as they do, and those are your free-up dogs. Mm-hmm. So so you mentioned um, slowing dogs down. You know, somebody like me that comes to Nevada that wants to lion hunt, um, I'm sure that it's going to be a really difficult challenge for me to do that. It, it unless i'm gonna spend a couple months there 
it's not even realistic for me to expect that I am going to do that really. Uh, but if you've got somebody that, that has dogs that are moving out too fast, how do you recommend they slow them down? Uh, typically I, I tell my dogs, Hey, slow down. You know, I tell them slow down and a couple of them look back at you. Like you serious, you tone them a little bit and they'll come back pretty soon that they start catching your drift. They don't, they know that you don't want them to go too fast because you get one dog that goes too fast. He's going to get a couple, two or three more that are going to do that. And then pretty soon you got a habit amongst all of them going too fast. I like them to be able to hunt, you know, one to two mile an hour. I know that sounds slow to a lot of guys and they say, well, hell, you don't get much hunted. But that being said, you, you want to hunt those, those good spots really thorough. And if you go too fast, you're going to miss a lot of tracks and, uh, you, you, you had, make, you had some, make sure they go slow. You had something that you recommended in your notes here about snow tracks and what what tracks that a person can can turn loose on to uh, slow their dogs down. Yeah, on that point, uh, you know, a lot of guys say, "How do I get my dogs to hunt dry ground?" And and what I tell them is, the first thing you need to do is out here out west and and Utah, Nevada. <laughs> you know, Southern Wyoming, Southern Idaho, Arizona, you need to get them to go slow, mm -hmm. um, hunting and trailing and to get them to learn how to slow down a cold trail a track. I, I recommend guys turn loose on tough tracks, turn loose on tracks, snow tracks that you don't think you're going to catch. Say, I ain't going to catch that one. Turn loose on it. it. Might be three or four days old and let's let them hammer away on it. And instead of going looking for a fresh one and that's that's what most guys do these days they go look for a fresh track you know because they want they want to catch a lion but if you want to get your dogs kind of ready for dry ground hunting let them let them cold trail let them bear down and grub a track out and pretty soon you're going to start catching those tracks that you didn't think you'd catch oh that thing's three days old and that line might not go quite as far as you think and pretty soon you got him caught you kind of got him caught in five or six miles and you, you thought, hell, he'd, he'd be out of the country and you finally get him caught. And hell, he trailed up and caught a three-day-old snow track, you know, lion. And pretty soon, them dogs are going to figure out how to slow down a cold trail. Another point on that snow hunting is you might have 60% snow and 40% bare ground. Turn loose on them snow tracks anyway and just hold back and just let them dogs trail. And if they can't figure it out, they hit a south and they can't figure it out and nobody's getting a bark and nobody's trailing, maybe cross over to the next north side, north facing hillside and help them out, get them on that one. Pretty soon they're going to start pushing through on them south facing slopes and they're mm -hmm. going to learn that cold trail. What's, uh, what's unique about the south facing slope up in your country? I don't think people back east here don't, don't pay attention to that as much as you do in the west. Those south-facing slopes bear off real quick, so you don't have any snow on those, but you'll have snow on the north-facing slopes when that when that weather warms up in the middle of the winter, you know, or mm -hmm. uh, first part of the winter. Them south-facing slopes will bear off, so they're back to being almost 90% bare ground on the south-facing slope, or 100% bare ground on the south-facing slope, and the north still have snow, and you can, you can kind of leapfrog and find that track on the north-facing slope and get them through on it, and pretty soon won't do that one or two times in the day they're going to be able to push through on that south facing slope and they're going to catch that line for you and then yeah. you're going to say man yeah we achieved something today you know we trailed through on some tough stuff and the next time you take them dogs out they're going to be a little bit better and the next time a little bit better but trailing 
you know, trailing a tough track like that's going to do way more good than just driving around looking for a smoking fresh night old lion track. That doesn't teach your dogs anything about cold trailing. It teaches them about running a hot track and treeing, but it doesn't teach them anything about cold trailing. I always think about, uh, you know, guys, guys like me that show up out there that want to be insta famous lion hunters. I want those smoking hot ones. I want those short ones. I want to pop them up like coons cleave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, so how do you, how do you, uh, you're, you're running clients and different things like that. And I think a lot of some uh, set, we have several listeners that are guides, professional guides or outfitters, uh, you know, that simply they've got a client in and they, they, they want to run those good tracks. Yeah. But you, do you hunt, do you hunt how many days, how many days a year do you think you hunt between, well, just give us the whole year. How many days a year do you think you hunt? I don't know. A couple hundred. Yeah. So yeah, somewhere in there. And you don't have a couple hundred clients. So you're out there working those dogs. What I'm getting at is you're, you're working those dogs in the toughest conditions when you don't have that client with you or unless the client you're in the last few days, it's like, Hey, we got to try this or you're going to eat tag soup and going home empty handed. But, but so you're, you're, when you're training, you look for the tough stuff to run on. Yeah. Like when, when I have a client, I'll take easy tracks, you know, I'll take sure. easy conditions. I want to get that guy lying, get him out. So yeah, we hunt snow and dry ground both, but if I don't have a client in, no, I, I like to go find the tough stuff because the easy stuff, it doesn't do you any good training. You know, it doesn't, I mean, you expose lion dogs to lions, but uh, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. So if it's on days off, I'd rather go pound out a dirt track. And even if I don't catch it, it's no big deal. Do you have you days? Do you have days when you just have pup days where you're going to look for those easy tracks to, to get, build their confidence and, you know, where you just turn pups loose, maybe an older dog, just to keep them lined out or something, but you ever do anything like that? Yeah, occasionally, but not much. Um, I don't have a whole lot of those days. I mean, if I if I do have have uh, you know time off, I I go hunt something a little tougher. Mm -hmm. But um, that being said, sometimes I'll I'll have a client with me, and uh, if I know there's a tom in that area, and we cut a female, I know I'm going to be in that area for the day. There's been times I I dump out you know two or three pups and a couple old dogs. And out here, it's really remote. So a lot of these mountain ranges, I don't have to worry about my dogs getting to a highway. Right. If it's one of those areas, I'll kick out two or three dogs, two or three pups and a couple old dogs and come back and pick them up towards the end of the day if we don't find that tom. Most time you find them, you find them treat on that female and take pictures and let her go. But uh, but that's only if I know that I'm going to be on that same mountain range right. looking for that tom. But that I, I do that a fair amount. Sometimes I'll also turn loose on an old part of the track and i'll try to cut that line out but i'll turn loose on an old part of the track just to have insurance on that track so if i don't find him on the on the other end of the range i got dogs on that part but uh, i only do that if you know if i know that they're not going to end up on a highway or something sure but, but i got a lot of dogs and i always got a lot of dogs to train so i i want to dump them in, on as many tracks as i can if i can get away with it how and, many head of dogs do you feed uh, I got 14, Becky and I got 14 and my brother's got 14 or 15. So we got about 30 combined. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I just thought that was interesting. 
And uh, how many days in a row do you think you can run? How, how many dogs do you take with you? And how many days in a row do you expect them to, to perform? Oh, it all depends on the dog, of course. Um, I have some dogs I can hunt almost every single day, even in tough conditions. And then I have, I have some that I gotta, I gotta give them a day or two off, mm -hmm. you know, it all depends. And obviously the conditions crusted snow, if we got crusted snow or, or a lot of limestone shale that we're trailing through, I'm, I'm alternating dogs almost every other day. So I'll run five or six one day and five or six the other. And, and then I might have one dog that I can hunt three or four days in a row. And then I give him one day off and, and, he's back at it again he's ready to rock and roll yeah yeah so it all depends but like in dry ground it seems like you sometimes don't have enough dogs and in snow it's like man why do i have this have this many dogs but you sometimes have too many if you're hunting in the snow and not enough if you're hunting in the dry ground because you you wear them out especially if you get out ran if you get out ran them dogs are are pretty spit for a day or so and then you got to swap to your other pack and there's been times we had a running lion and he just runs and runs and chase him another day and yeah it runs you that day and pretty soon you're down to four or five fresh dogs out of you know 20 right and then you leave a couple couple more home and swap them out so and we'll pick up that conversation right after this word from our sponsor houndsman xp is very proud of our partnership with the organization freedom hunters freedom hunters is a non-profit organization that takes america's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit freedom hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field this portion of the houndsman xp podcast is brought to you by tier one custom calls when it's all on the line make the choice the pros do choose tier one so okay so so when you're getting ready to head out and uh uh, you've got a client in the truck and you're looking for that prime spot to find a, uh, a track, a, t a good Tom track. What kind of areas are you looking at? Where are you, where are you looking to improve your odds? Um, I like to hunt. I like to hunt places that are close to mule deer wintering grounds out here in Nevada and a lot of Western States mule deer will consolidate most time on the Southwest and southwest facing slopes or south south end of a mountain range sometimes on the north face if it's on in low foothills but um we like to go to places where there's obviously mule deer or uh, or deep dark canyons i like them deep dark canyons with water and heavy brush it seems like when a lion gets into one of those areas he's going to hang around there a little bit he might walk up and down that canyon a little bit and if it's a tom he's probably going to make a scratch and if he walks down it and back up it and then cross, you're going to have a couple more chances at him on it. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I like, I like hunting those canyons thorough and then going into mule deer wintering grounds. Those, those are always a good spot. When we scout for 
mountain lion country. Sometimes we'll do a, a scouting trip for, I don't know, a day or two, and we'll cover four or 500 miles into new country. We like to just mainly look for mule deer feed, winter mule deer feed. If you find what's called bitter brush or buck brush, mm-hmm. you're going to find mule deer there in the winter. And therefore you're going to find mountain lions. Yeah. You know, I've, I've said this before on other podcasts, but the thing that sets a good houndsman apart from other hunting, hunting groups or what makes us so special is there's so many facets to what we do. You know, we've got to be, we've got to know dogs, we've got to know equipment. We've got to, we, but we've also got to know the prey, you know, we got to know where mule deer are going to be, or we got to know what the coons are eating or, or what the bobcats are feeding on and when they're doing it, you know, uh, if you come, come back East here, this time of year, the mulberry trees just, just finished up, uh, with their fruit bearing and you can hunt an area for eight months out of the year and be able to treat coons consistently in those areas. But if there's mulberries close by two miles, three miles down the road, you're not going to find coons in that, that place that you consistently found them the rest of the year. They're all going to move up towards those, those mulberry trees. And then when the corns on them, when the, when the acorns start dropping and different stuff like that. So, you know, we got to be, we've got to know a lot of stuff. And that, I think that's what sets us apart. And for you guys, you got to have that intimate knowledge of what deer eat, where they're going to be, what time of day they're going to be there. There's a lot of things that, that set houndsmen apart. Yeah. I would agree. You, you know, that's like, uh, I learned quite a bit about bear hunting. We went bear hunting down in Arizona and with a friend of ours also. And he, he was telling us some stuff, you know, I didn't realize bears fed that much on juniper berries, but they, they do do pretty good on them down, down like in New Mexico, Arizona, and probably probably a lot of places, but there for a while, yeah. they're just feeding on juniper berries and everybody thought the bears were high, but in all reality, they were low. They weren't, they weren't that high. They're hunting and living down low now eating them uh, juniper berries and that's what they're living on. So yeah. Yeah. Got to go to the food source. That's right. So how fast are you moving when you're, when you're, you get out on the road to kind of setting this up here, but uh, how fast, how fast do you normally, once you get dogs out on the ground, you're roading, how fast are you moving? Which direction are you heading up these canyons? You know, lay that out for us, Cleve. If I'm going to go road dogs up a can or in a canyon, I like to start at the bottom and I kick them out. And I don't want to go any faster than two miles an hour. It seems like if you go any faster than two miles an hour, you're going to miss a lot of tracks because them dogs don't get to slow down and really search really well. You know, they, they can't be winding them lines like that. I mean, I know it happens. I know guys rig lines every now and then, and it does happen, but for the most part, you need to have dogs on the ground and need to let them hunt it real thorough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to hunt it, it like out here in Nevada. These mountain ranges predominantly run north and south, so we're going up these canyons from the east and west all the time. I like to road dogs up a canyon. Might run road them up there five or six miles, and if that that road don't loop back around into another canyon that you want to hunt, when I get to the top water dogs up load them and go to the other canyon and road them up that canyon also but the thing about roading them up a canyon is it keeps them going slow so them dogs are kind of forced to slow down a little more but if you notice when you road dogs down a canyon they get ahead of themselves and they get to trotting along because it's easy Mm -hmm. and they get jacking around sometimes and 
pretty soon they're a quarter mile ahead of you and that's that's not going to catch any lions not any right. tough line mm-hmm. tracks anyway you might get a, a fresh one right there but if you're if you're trying to find an even an old line track that's not going to do you any good because out here you you might not get another line track for a couple of days you know you're yeah. not going to get one every day you're going to you're going to find a line about every third day and uh, you'd have to work with what you have so even if it's an old track you want to find it and then you can assess it and you want them dogs to be able to tell there's an old track there maybe a day old you want him to strike on that and then you can read which way he's going and then you can put a game plan together. So, so we're looking at, you know, roading up a Canyon, hunting up canyons and, and I'm sure, do you do the same thing when you're riding mules? Um, yes and no. Um, a lot, typically we, we start riding up a Canyon with our mules and then when we top out, then we'll top out either left or right and drop down another big Canyon Mm-hmm. and but the thing about riding off or hunting off mules when you're riding along the mules aren't going too fast and uh them dogs kind of slow down a little better when you're mule hunting mm-hmm. but when you're going up a road they they're just in a habit of going up that road fast yeah but when you're when you're mule back them dogs kind of scatter and they cast good and they hunt really well and you don't have to get after them too much most time they know to hunt but when you're on that two track or that gravel road they get in a bad habit of going a little fast. Yeah. No brush. Let's rock. Let's roll, buddy. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. So um, you're, you're roading up a Canyon and all of a sudden, what are some of the things that you're looking for as you're going up that Canyon? Describe the indications from the dogs or so um, not all those canyons are the same. So when you're heading up a Canyon, you, you kind of, what do you see that, that, piques your interest thinks that makes you think man i might find a line track here yeah i typically look for for pinch points kind of spots where that narrow narrow that canyon and kind of force a lion or any other game to walk walk in that area and then i like i like really letting them dogs hunt around a scratch or a tree that has a lot of scratches in the past and it'd be kind of like a grandpa looking tree kind of big old trunk on it and yeah bushy you know big bushy limbs but not real close to the ground kind of gives good cover underneath that tree them them lions like to make a scratch that's going to hold their scent and they kind of like a secluded spot and a spot that not too much sun hits it seems like they like those spots best so when you come to a spot like that i let them dogs hunt a little more and uh i I have we have some dogs that i swear they they know what what trees them lions scratch under even if you've never hunted that dog in that area, they know what to look for. And it's, it's a focal point, you know, it's, it's eye appeal mm-hmm. and, and they know what to look for. And them dogs will beat feet over there and nose around. And most time those, those are dogs that strike on a scratch a little better. But at the same time, I like to watch that, that dog's body language. Sometimes they won't, uh, they don't always strike on, on the scent, on the dirt. Sometimes that lion, he'll be, he'll be slithering through that brush and he'll brush up against some brush and he leaves a little bit of scent there off of his hair. And some of them dogs notice, start smelling that brush. And I got a couple here that do really well on that. And they'll start kind of whipping their tail, kind of acting like a bird dog would kind of birdie. And they'll mm-hmm. go from bush to bush and a couple, two or three bushes. And pretty soon they're, they got their nose on the ground and then they strike, but they typically strike on the dirt before they strike on the brush but they might what, they might what do you think that is i don't know i don't know but they, they smell it on the brush sometimes first and then they strike on the dirt but i don't know if they're just a 
faint amount of scent there on that brush, but their nose happens to be just, they pull their head up and their nose happens to be there. And then they, right before they put their head back down to start working that dirt, they smell it more. I don't know what it is, but it's typically about knee high to a person is when they, they smell that. And you just watch them. If they're doing that, just let them work it. Pretty soon somebody's going to strike on it. And then as soon as they strike, you're going to want to go over there and see before they get that track going too far and make sure they're going the right direction. You yeah. So them backwards. As, I, as I just sit here and I think about that whole thing, you know, scent, scurf, you know, it can ride on the wind and it can be deposited away from the actual where, you know, the track. So maybe those dogs are looking at, they, I, it sounds to me like the dogs have figured out that, the difference be, in, between, you know, just residual scent in an area and the actual track. And they're also figuring in some ground disturbance stuff there. Cause I mean, it's amazing what a dog's nose can detect. He may smell it on the bush, but he gets, you know, now he found the actual track and there's a little bit of ground disturbance and he's that kicks up a whole different set of microbials and, and bacteria and stuff. And so now bang, you know, he's saying, okay, now I've got it. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, that might happen too. I uh, I do know that oftentimes the lion, when he walks through, say, look like underneath the like a big juniper pinion tree, and there's mm-hmm. low hanging branches, he'll curl his tail up over his back and kind of let let that scent kind of catch on that on that tree limb, and that lets other lions know that he went, went through there. And they do that. Uh, I've noticed they do that quite a bit at a scratch, a scratch tree, you know, where they scratch, mm-hmm. they'll do that a fair amount, but I've, I've seen where they went underneath low hanging limbs and curled their tail up. And then it was, you know, it wasn't a scratch tree. So sometimes a female will do that, but they, they'll curl that tail up. Uh, I think it's a way to let other lions know they came through there, but them, them dogs, they'll, they'll, they'll hit that and start sniffing that. And pretty soon you got a line track. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, work it long enough. cats have orbital glands in their face and the base of their tails. And, you know, they've got glands all over them that they use same way with white-tailed deer or any deer, you know, a buck will go through and a white-tailed deer buck will go through and he'll lick those branches above him and even rub the, the tips of those branches around in his orbital glands and different things to mark his territory to yeah. let those does know that he's around. And so I'm sure lions are doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think they do. I yeah. think that's what a lot, a lot of their scratches are about is letting each other know where they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's always a territorial deal. could be to an extent, but I think a lot of it's a calling could be just a thing. breeding thing, you know, breeding thing. And yep. That's, that's how females get bred. And they, they, if they're in heat, they're going to want to find a boyfriend. They're going to track him down, you know? Yeah. Cause that's, it's big country out here. She's, she's got a way to find him. They don't have Facebook. <laughs> Hey, do you think, so a female mountain lion seeks out, do you think they seek out the Tom or does the Tom seek out the hen? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think they, they find each other. I'm I'm guessing he can tell if she's in heat, you know, he's leaving his calling card out there. She, she finds the calling card and then probably spends time in that area. And then he's coming back around and checking on her, checking his area and bang. Oh, yeah exactly yeah yeah they're gonna yeah. find each other sure just gotta gotta read the signs and i'm sure they do yeah 
what else we're going to talk about um the notes you took are extensive and i got to tell you we'll we'll talk about how you came up with these notes in um a minute here but so what do you do if if you've got a track and uh you can't determine the direction or anything like that you've tried to help them what do you do with your pack then you've got a good strike you know you turn dogs loose 200 days a year you know the way your dogs are acting whether you got a good chance of catching that or not but say that you can't determine the direction and it seems like they're struggling what do you do um if if i don't know whether they're going frontwards or backwards i'll i'll try to circle out around them maybe let them keep trailing if if you think they might be right and get out in front of them or or if, if you think you're going backwards get behind them try to find that track sometimes you got to read that country and and look at it and say would a would a lion go up that up that hill or down that bank you know how how would he go about that and after catching a lot of lions you you'll start kind of visualizing yeah i don't see a lion coming down that but i see him going up it and vice versa and you can't sometimes you you'll watch them dogs and and you just kind of watch them work them rocks and you think yeah I think a lion would have went around that rock on his way down. He probably would have jumped up it on his way up. It all depends on what he's doing, if he's hunting or if he's traveling. But you kind of just kind of read them, read them a bit and, and hope you're right. But if you don't, if for some reason you can't figure out that track frontwards or backwards, I found just let them trail. It's, you know, you don't want to get over there and screw them up and then you're back to square one. They might have been right. But if if I can't tell if that's frontwards or backwards, like out here in Nevada, we got a lot of like crushed limestone looking shale rock and it's, it's like gravel, like the whole mountain would be gravel. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to see a lion track, let alone, you know, amongst a bunch of dog tracks and tell which way he's going. So if I don't know, I just let him trail. There's been times I couldn't get the dog stopped and they trailed him, trailed the track in the wrong direction. And somehow they ran into him He made a big circle back to where he was. He had already came from, you know, and they run into him and get him caught. And you're like, well, I got lucky that day, you know, but, but yeah, if, if in doubt, just let him trail. It's better to trail line track backwards and not trail one at all. When but, you're trying to help, when you're trying to help these young dogs or, or any of your dogs, you know, what does that look like? You, you busting in the middle of them and, and walking right there with them and walking, trying to walk the track out or, or how do you normally do that? Cleve? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, when, when them dogs are having a hard time, I stay out of their way. That's cost me a lot of lions. And I look back on it a lot of the times and I thought, man, I, I sent that guy home with them without a mountain lion because I got too close to them dogs. And by too close, I mean, if you can throw a rock and hit them dogs, you're, you're too close. I like to stay, you know, football field or two away behind them and just let them work it. If they're having a hard time, if they're going fast, you can try to keep up with them. But once, if they slow down, they're having trouble and you know they're going the right direction, just hold back, let them, let them work it out. And uh, that'll be, do a lot of things because a lot of things to in your favor. I kind of feel like, like when a guy gets up there and gets right in the middle of them, when they're having a hard time, they're, they're probably going the right direction and gets right there that's that's like your boss standing over your shoulder you might be able to might be able to do your job better than your boss but Mm -hmm. if you stand over your shoulder all day long pretty soon you're going to start screwing up it's going to make you kind of nervous or you're going to say here you can have it if you know if you're going to stand there and watch me all day you can do it and i 
kind of think that kind of screws dogs up the same way. But uh, I've noticed if, if you just hold back, you know, quarter mile or a mile or something like that, you'll know when. Mm-hmm. And you kind of be quiet and just let them work it out. Mm-hmm. Another thing goes for that is if I got pups in there, which I almost do, I always got a couple, two or three young dogs. If I got six or seven dogs on there, I got I got four or five of them that catch online and two or three that, that are green dogs. I don't like to talk and get too close either. And like, if I got a client to make sure that client stays quiet too, because my, one of my pups might be doing really good. And then he hears us talking and he comes back to, to us because he wants to come back to me. And then it's sometimes hard to get him locked back in with them old dogs. So if, if they're going in the right direction and they're just having a hard time, just let them trail. That's what it's all about. So. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we had a question about, uh, came in about training a couple of weeks. Well, yeah, it'll be a couple of weeks when this comes out, but, uh, just came in the other day that I, that I addressed on the last podcast. Uh, but he had a young dog and he was trying to train it with a German, you know, his German shepherd was always going along with him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I told him is, you know, when you're trying to get get a pup locked in on something, the more distractions you can take out of it for them, the better off you are. You know, there is some value to dog dogs learn a lot of stuff visually, but, uh, when you're trying to teach a dog something in the beginning and you're trying to get them locked in, it's better to eliminate as many distractions as you can. And I can only imagine, you know, some, some greenhorn from back East that's I'm in the mountains and I'm going to hunt and I'm hunting lions and I'm a cowboy. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden they're excited and they're probably they get, probably get a lot of chatterbox. You can, you can get some real chatterboxes out there. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help. And I'm nice about it. I say, Hey, let's, let's kind of keep it quiet. You know, we want to let these dogs work. And once they realize what, what I, what I expect of them, it, it works out. Sometimes I got to remind them, but, but you're right. Less distractions, the better. It's, that'd be like having a kid with ADD and you're trying to teach him math mathematics or something or science. And they got a circus over here right next door, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. something like that. It's, There's it's a party bad. going on next door. That's my son, man. When we homeschooled when they were growing up and where we live, he'd be sitting there trying to do his schoolwork. He'd look out and there'd be turkeys in the field. And it was over at that point. It's like, boom you know turkey on the brain yeah yeah zones in on them and forget yeah. school work yeah yeah exactly uh, let's see what else we got here dry ground talk to us about scratches tell us where you're finding scratches i, I i'll tell you what i want to do we kind of talked about scratches you said where you're finding those but let's evaluate the you gave me a really good good note here on how to evaluate whether a Tom is in that area, whether he's he's getting close to moving out, and it all has to do with the stage of the kill that he's on. You know, if he's yes. got a kill in there, what stage is he at? Exactly. There's a there's two ways to determine that. The first way you're going to want to do that is is uh, examine his scat. When when a Tom's in an area and he's got a kill there, he'll make He'll make a bunch of scratches, sometimes three or four underneath, underneath one tree, and he'll go up the road maybe a quarter mile or eighth of a mile, a couple hundred yards, maybe maybe 50 yards, and make another scratch. But you'll you'll start looking at those scratches, and by those scratches, I mean he, on average, in my opinion, they kick him with their hind feet, but they kind of like right, a dog. You're going to bring that like, one up? 
Bruce, well, Ken- Bruce Kennedy no, did all. We those can do interviews. that one later. So, but uh, <laughs> we can do that one later. But uh, yeah, they'll anyway. They'll they'll kick up pine needles and leaves and debris with their their feet and urinate on it, and then they'll leave some scat in there. And uh, if that if that scat's real black and gooey, and not a whole lot of hair in it, that's most likely the first part of his kill. So he's on the first part of his kill. Uh, when he deposited that scat and here's the reason why when a lion makes a kill predominantly they'll bite through that rib cage eat that heart and liver and most time the lungs and then they might start feeding on a on a shoulder or hindquarter or something but they'll peel that hide back and start eating on that meat first so that first couple sets of scat they'll leave is going to be black and gooey hardly any bone at all in it hardly any hair if you find that and no no other no other scat with bones and stuff a lot of bones and hair in it then you know you got you got a line right there and there's a good chance he's going to be there for a few days mm-hmm. he might he might not be in that canyon at that time he might go to the next canyon over because there might not be water in that canyon he might go three or four canyons over but he's going to come back there because most likely his kills someplace close but after he makes a kill, he fills up on meat. He's going to want to go to water. So if you do find that and you don't have snow on the ground, it's all bare ground. You don't want to hunt up your first water source. But if you find that that fresh black scat, there's a good chance you're going to catch him. Just keep after him and uh, he'll circle back and he'll be wandering around in there. Now, if you find some scat with a bunch of bones and a lot of hair and maybe some cartilage in there, he might be towards the last end of his kill and you might only have a couple of days before you get another chance at him before he leaves. And then you have to find him on another part of the mountain range. Yeah. So how but, many days, how many days can a lion usually get out of one kill? I mean, it depends on the size of the animal, but your average size, average size deer. Um, I think most time about seven to 10 days. It, it, that all depends if coyotes come in there and clean it up and birds coyotes, if them coyote like, two or three coyotes come in there, they can, they can take quite a bit from him, you know, mm-hmm. and then that cuts him down to four or five days, maybe yeah. but in, the, in the summertime, he, he's going to have to make more kills because that meat's going to spoil before he can finish it. And he, he's not going to want to eat that rancid meat. He's he'll go kill another deer before he'll eat that rancid meat when it gets real rancid. Yeah. If it's a little bit tainted, he'll be fine. But if it gets real green and rotten, he's, he can't, he ain't going to eat that most time. So and a fe- female will make more kills, especially if she's got kittens. Yeah, exactly. Especially if she has yearlings, because those yearlings are oh, the other chow they're, hounds. They're not. No, they're teenagers. You know. You know. Yeah. You, hell, you, you know how teenagers eat. I don't, but well, I was one once. But but uh, <laughs> but but yeah, if she's got yearlings, man, they're gonna mow through some deer or elk or whatever. Right. Yeah. And then there's two ways to tell difference if you find an older kill. This is pretty good way to find out or determine whether it's a tom or female um if them bones are crushed up really good and there's hardly anything left of those bones and the hooves are eaten and the face is crushed on that mule deer that's probably big tom but if there's a lot of a lot of bones left and all the bones are picked clean that was probably female because she's she's not going to crush them bones like big old tom you know an 80 pound female 70 80 pound female she's not going to have the same 
size of jaws and head is a 150 pound tom 140 pound tom he's he's gonna crush some bones we found where some of the big old toms have crushed the whole head after they ate the rest of the deer and they'll crush the face eat eat that cartilage they love eating that cartilage in that nose i don't know what it is but they'll finish off that nose and then they'll they'll go ahead and eat the rest of that skull and crush that skull and eat them brains and most of the time the last of it is they'll eat the hooves um, if they're if they they're pretty hungry and they know they, they don't have a whole lot of deer maybe i don't know some of them clean them up really well and there's hardly anything left but just a little bit of a little bit of deer hair and and that that paunch you know their stomach that mm-hmm. grass in that deer's stomach and that's about it some of them i think some of them will go and make another kill and then come back to snack on that one and go try to make another kill you know so they might have two kills total and go back and forth but uh I've, we found that a couple times but not a whole lot but uh but most of the time they 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 finish it up pretty well yeah yeah so when a lion's got a kill in a certain area what types of things are you looking for on the tracks you you mentioned something about them using the same trail um often or between there and water i, I can't remember exactly what you said please yeah like if you got a female and she's in an area and she's using the same trail back and forth say if you find her trail going back and forth from water quite a lot there's a good chance she has kittens there mm-hmm. okay that's what it was and uh we found that if she's got a you know say she's got two or three sets of tracks on this trail and two or three sets of tracks on that one and they're kind of all going back towards the same area you might want to leave her alone because she's probably got little kittens and them hounds them hounds catch up in them kittens that could be bad for them kittens so we yeah. try to leave them alone i got you yeah i got you what else we need to cover lion hunting 101 you said something about uh let me look through here real quick you can try to explain why you think lions make scratches with their back feet while i'm doing this yeah over the years we've we've studied them quite a bit and i know that's a large controversy um huge yeah bruce kennedy talked about it in his Uh, everyone he asked every lion hunter i think and and a good friend of ours wiley carroll he was a good family friend of ours he talks about it in his his book of the history of north american lion hunting and that's the most brought up subject in there you know he talked he talked about a, a lot, you know, to a lot of line hunters and, uh, he, he got several opinions and most of them, it seems were, they, they, they're convinced with their, that they made it with their hind feet, but there's a bunch of them that said, yeah, with their front feet. I think for the most part, they make it with their hind feet. I've seen some big, big old scratches and I, and some just looked a little bit too wide to be with their hind feet. And I thought, yeah, that one could have been, you know, with their front feet. And it, it makes me wonder, but on average, I, I think most of them are with their hind feet. If they kick, kick that scratch out and, you know, make that scratch, they'll urinate on it. And, but, uh, I, I think for the most part it's with their hind feet, but that's, that's such a huge controversy. You know, it is. That's, that's like, that's almost like politics or religion, you know, <laughs> guys can, people can get into that one pretty deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if I watch if I watch domestic dogs or cats or anything like that, they scratch. I've, I've seen them make scratches with their hind feet. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of domestic house cats make it with their front feet. If you notice, you know. Well, yeah, like these but, cats we got around here, they'll get in the flower beds and 
do their business and then and then cover it up with their front feet. But I've also seen them like if they're spraying a bush or whatever, you know, scratch out with their back feet and then spray the bush. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They do that quite a bit. Look, yeah, them toms. Yeah, they like to get in like a flower bed and kick it back and then spray yeah. all over. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yep. Interesting stuff. Anything else you want to bring up before we wrap it up? I know we we're gonna miss stuff on this cleave, and and uh, I've got something I'll talk about, but I want to give you the op- opportunity to uh, cover any bases here that I'm missing. Yeah, you know, um, I was gonna bring up the point that like them females, they'll sometimes when they get a kill, they got a kill someplace. So they'll, they'll kind of mound up a bunch of pine needles and debris, and then they'll leave some scat in there. And they'll come back and cover up more pine needles and debris, cedar cedar needles, whatever, on top of it. I don't see the toms do that, but them females do it a fair amount. And most time that mound will be like, oh, say 10 or 12 inches wide and 8 or 10 inches tall, 6 inches tall. And it seems like a female does that more. But uh, uh, another point is that I was wanting to bring up is when you're getting ready to or when, when you're trailing line and, and dogs are trailing along and they're doing good. If you, if you pay attention to that line stride, he'll sometimes start stepping short as we call it. Mm-hmm. it. You know, his stride will go from quite a ways, you know, in between each track to, to he'll start kind of pussyfooting around and meandering around and time taking his time and he'll wander over to this side of the little hill and come back and, it seems like that's when they're getting ready to lay up. And if you see that's when the, when they start doing that, pretty soon you're going to jump a lion. And start looking at that country. Think, okay, where's if it's in the wintertime, where's, the, where's a steep south-facing hillside? Seems like they like to lay up on a steep south-facing hillside, sometimes underneath a rock rim, sometimes just on something that's really steep, you know, 70-degree grade, 60-degree grade. And and then they'll wander around on that hillside and then they go high. And when they lay up, they, they want to they wanna be able to look down and feel secure, like they can look down on things coming towards them. And uh, so if, if, if your dogs are getting ready, you know, if your dogs are trailing along and they're going back and forth and it looks like a place a lion would lay up, get ready for your dogs to jump that lion because it's probably going to happen. And uh, it's been my belief that, and a lot of other drag on line hunters, guys that are, you know, older guys that have hunted lines for 50 years. Uh, they, you know, they believe that the lines can shut their scent down and I believe they can. And it's been in our experience that sometimes the lines will pull their scent right before they lay up. Now, sometimes they don't want another line to find them or another predator and a hound for that matter, you know, anything. So they'll pull that scent and then they'll go lay up. And most time that's about, about when they kind of start meandering around left and right. And it's kind of like somebody trying to figure out where they want to sit, you know, at a restaurant or something. Sometimes they go back and forth. Um, when that, when that, you're, you're, ho- you're hoping I'll give you a pass on that, aren't you? I don't know. Yeah, you can, if you want, <laughs> but, but uh, it seems like once they, once they start having trouble with that track and it's like somebody flipped a switch and that there's no more scent. Sometimes yeah. that sometimes that's the calm before the storm. Just let them trail, let them let them work it out. Pretty soon you're gonna have a line jumped. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come at this gonna totally. Loose. I'm gonna come at this totally from the scientific side because I don't have a prayer yeah. of, of even discussing this with you from the uh, experienced lion hunter side. 
I don't know of any biological way that an animal can shut their scent off. Scent is being exhaled through the nose. It's being left behind, deposited in scat and urine. Uh, it's dead skin cells coming off, dead hair follicles. They, I don't know it, with a predator response if they have the ability to uh, maybe shut down some glands, which you're taking that out of the picture. And now the scent picture has changed at that point. So now that the dog's trying to redetermine what's going on there, but I mean, just the, the basic theories of scent that I know, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. The only thing I can think of Cleve is that animal has the ability to a chemical change or whatever it is there's tons of stuff we don't know you know we can only speculate and that's what that's what this is all about we're speculating on what's going on yeah you know yeah. That, that now because when a dog has a scent picture locked in their mind and they're running that scent for a quarter mile a mile two miles i mean they're dialed in that's when they can really start start gaining ground and picking that up but if a lion's getting ready to make a kill does something physiologically change in his body that causes a chemical alteration and so now you've had this dog that's been locked in on this one scent picture for one or two miles and bang all of a sudden it changed and now the dog's got to reset and and in like military stuff it's called an OODA loop observe orient decide and act and we all go through that process your dog goes through that process so he's been he's been locked in but he gets to that point and all of a sudden his OODA loop changes. He's got to reset it, you know, and, and figure that all out again. I wonder if that's what we're actually seeing right there. I don't know. All I know is it's, it can be tough to, to trail them right before they lay up. Yeah. And then sometimes when they jump, I've, I've seen where they've held their scent there, but there's another good point there when a lion does jump and, and, good lion hunter in arizona he's probably probably the best dry ground lion hunter right now alive i don't know one of the better ones his name's steve smith and uh he's he's telling my brother and i this he said when a lion when a lion jumps out of a tree if you notice when he's running his mouth is closed it's not open so he's not leaving a whole lot of scent when he does jump out of the tree and run from you or if he gets up from his bed and he takes off running so that can be hard to trail too Mm -hmm. so he's he might be in that you know that flight or fight mode where something kicks in i don't know if it's an adrenaline gland that doesn't let as much scent emit from his scent glands i don't know how that works but it can be tough and uh, he made a pretty good point that that lion jumps he's running with his mouth closed therefore he's not breathing on the brush he's not breathing on the rocks and typically you know when he's breathing walking around there there might it might be getting onto the brush and rocks and then dogs are trailing off that here and there mm -hmm. but it makes it makes sense how it would be more difficult but that's kind of like going back to what some of that stuff you're saying that could be an explanation to some of it yeah i mean when when a lion first jumps if he jumps out of a tree is that what you i think you mentioned that yeah say say you got a lion caught and you and he you get up to the tree and and he jumps, he bails, you know, he's scared. When he runs mm -hmm. down that hillside, most time they run down, he's got his mouth closed. So he's not going to be leaving as much scent, but he's, he's right there and the dogs are chasing him by sight for sight chase. little ways. But he gets out of sight, them dogs got to go back to trailing. 
and most time they catch him, you know, but it's going to be a little bit tougher at times because mm -hmm. he's not breathing on them rocks. You don't have his hot breath coming out. That's not going to help you any. That's going to make it tougher. But when he's walking around, you know, just moseying around, he's got his mouth hung open and he is breathing. And I think maybe sometimes that's, that's what them dogs are smelling on that brush when they, when they start smelling a little bit here and there, that well, line. Okay. That so line might, I, I, I'm going to weigh in here a little bit and yeah. just kind of, just kind of give you my take on it. So as an animal walks through its environment, if it's walking slowly, that scent is deposited behind them. You don't, you know, if I'm walking across my yard and I'm just, if I run across my yard, I'm going to gain a lot of distance and the scent's going to be, be behind me. But if I'm just out there looking at the garden and going over and checking the berry bushes, you know, I'm going to saturate that area with my scent. It's going to, and I'm going to be closer by when that scent finally is deposited. A dog's, and it sounds like your dog, dogs especially you know they drop that nose all the way to the ground that scent's still got to settle on the ground before it's going to be that scent's going to be detectable to the dog's nose so when a lion jumps or a coon jumps i've seen it with coons i've seen it i've seen it with deer you know trash races a deer yeah. bolts out of the brush you got two hounds behind them and then they get off into the brush and all of a sudden they're having trouble the deer's gaining on them they're having trouble figuring it out and they slow way down or maybe they lose the track for a little bit and then they have to re it's because it's it's because the scent has not settled to the ground because the hair is still shedding your body still sheds skin cells at the rate of about 50 million per minute and i don't know if it's different for a lion or not but that's what the human rate is and it takes a while for that to settle into an area and become saturated so i, I I'm not, I'm not trying to be argumentative with you at all about it, Cleve. I'm just kind of putting together some of the things that, that I've learned through the professional side of tracking dogs and stuff like that. And, and that's kind of why we do that have conversations like this so that we can try to connect the dots, take your experience with knowledge, put them together, and then we can start sorting it out from there. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh Yeah. Yeah. with data, data, not knowledge data. Cause you've got, you've got tons of knowledge, uh, but data and we, we've all been, yeah, I won't even go there, but we all have got different opinions about the validity of science these days. But, um, <laughs> uh, I, I think there's, I think there's some, some things to, that we can, we can get sorted out. Maybe it's better to just leave it alone. Yeah, you know? yeah, that works too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just what, whatever is unexplainable, just kind of go with what you know, you know, and just keep that in mind, I guess. Yeah. And if you believe it, go for it. If not, but don't fine, you think but... it'd make a person a better trainer though if they had a little bit of, if they had some of that data that they, you know, they see their dogs do something and then they think, okay, okay, well this happened, and I, uh, I don't know. That's the way my brain works anyway. Yeah. I always like to look at it like, why didn't we catch that lion? Mm -hmm. You know, some guys say, well, we didn't catch the lion. Why? Right. You know, I've always asked, why did the lion get through the rocks and get the jump on you and take off at a trot? Because that happens. Or did you just not trail up to him? Or did, did you call it quits before you should have? You yeah. Know, there's, there's a million scenarios but you know, there's, there's a million things that you can do right or do wrong. 
but like a lot of times, I think a lot of guys will be cold trailing and in that situation right before they're supposed to jump that line or right they're right before they're about to jump that line like a switch goes off and our switch goes on and you can't the dogs can't smell anything and you think heck right you catch this line right right just let them trail and yeah pretty soon somebody's gonna sort something out and you're probably gonna have a line in a tree but if you go home a little early you might not have but there's been times also that you know, I didn't know which way lines going left or right. You know, he's just kind of wandering around and I thought, well, I'll just let the dogs trail. And I knew I wasn't going to catch the lion, but I just let him trail to get a feel for where he's going to be tomorrow or yeah. where I should go tomorrow. Just let him trail and trail. And, and then it gets four or five in the afternoon. It's almost dark. You're like, okay, pull them dogs. And then you go back home and you look at Google earth or whatever and, and you figure it out. My brother's really good at that. He, he'll, that was he, the point. I, I was going to bring up that point. The I've known like bear hunters in the mountains down here. Uh, one of those guys is Barry Tarleton. I've hunted several days with Barry Tarleton, legendary breeder, plot dog guy. But uh, when he was 81 years old, he still went to the mountain every day to bear hunt. Yeah. Uh, his grandkid, his grandson wouldn't let him get too far from the truck, but what Barry would do is he would get in a position where he could hear the race and he know he, he, he would know that he'd been there so many times and seen so many bears run and hunted that area so much. He could tell you the gap that bear was going to run through. And if you listen to him and you got up there in front, then you could pack in on it. But if yeah. you didn't listen to him and you were, you were, might as well just eat lunch because you're out, you know, and that's what you guys, you guys do too, is how important is it for you to be able to, to know lion behavior? It's all, it, to me, it's all like a, it's all like baking a cake. If you get too much salt or if you get too much sugar, or if you don't, you know, don't get enough of one ingredient or too much of another, it's, it's a complex issue. And, and you guys are, you guys are putting some pieces together out there. Yeah. Yeah. We try. We, we uh we try to take a bunch of notes my brother takes a lot more notes than i do he he's got a whole journal as you and i were talking earlier yeah all back he's got a whole journal on it and he writes all that down but he's he's a little better at it than i am at kind of figuring out where a line's going to go I, I think he can kind of tell where a line's going to go before that line does and he can tell where if whether he's going to go to the north end and line out and leave the country or if he's going to circle back and hang around in there and and that in my opinion makes a good lion hunter you know you can, yeah. you can be a good dog man too but if you if you understand lines and kind of get a feel for them pretty soon you're going to start figuring them out real quick and that can save you a lot of time and a lot of effort but yeah over the years you know i'd like to think i've gotten better if i if i didn't then i better quit right so you know yeah you can something all the time you can do all the Google searches you want. You can stay in an all, stay in Holiday Inn Expresses all you want, but you're you just uh, there's no replacement for experience. And is that what you tell people that call and ask you? Is just get out there and get after it and learn. Yeah, just just get out there and let them trail. You know, you don't have to be with them the whole time i mean right behind them just let them trail if they're over on a hillside and they're just hammered away on a track let them trail all day long mm -hmm. sit there and listen to them that's the fun part yeah 
you know, and unfortunately, I, I see a lot of a lot of people doing this a lot these days is, is they'll sit in their truck and they'll look on their GPS, but they don't sit out there, you know, stand out their truck out of, outside their truck and listen to their dogs. But especially if they got cell service, holy cow, then they're posting on Instagram <laughs> or something. And got a lion track going and I know dang well they're sitting in their truck watching their GPS and doing all that. And it's like, you need to be out there listening to them dogs because that screen shows you a lot. That that makes a world of difference, but it's it's not the real deal, you know. It's, yeah, they're sitting out there and listening to them dogs and know by the dog's pitch of his voice whether he's getting ready to jump that lion or if he's having trouble or that's it's that's the fun part in my opinion yeah it's it's a lost it, it that stuff is lost to technology and uh, everybody dreams about being ben lily or wiley carroll or dale lee or something like that but and we always romanticize about it can you can you imagine going back before telemetries and and i mean those guys were living it they were on the frontier and if they didn't know those dogs and they didn't know lines and they didn't know game, they were, they weren't, they weren't catching anything. No, exactly. Yeah. Those guys, yeah, they, they camped out on the mountain and slept in their truck and woke up the next morning and went and at it. And it's these guys, these days they, they get to go home every night cause they got GPS. They can track that dog down and help. They can tell whose property is going to go on to, so they can, look him up and call him and say, Hey, can yeah. I go get my dog back in the day? They might not have a clue where that dog is. Yeah. Like Van, John Van Johnson in his book talks about, you know, walking those tracks out and camping on the track, you know, yeah. and, and waking up wherever, wherever he's at, he finds shelter camps on the track. And then the next day he gets up and he, he, he start gets after it again, just day after day. And Ben, Ben Lilly did the same thing. Yeah, all on an empty stomach, no hot coffee. That'd be rough. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no buckskins. No buckskins, yeah. You might have to shove a couple of those down the pack just for down the bottom, just for that campfire time. Yeah, yeah, put them in a snowbank. <laughs> Keep them cold. <laughs> but like, yeah, like Wiley Carroll said, he said back in the day, they'd spend two days hunting dogs and five days, or two days hunting lions and five days hunting dogs. Right. And or something like that. And it's about the truth, you know. Yeah. They didn't have shockers. They didn't have any of that. But well, I think the thing that impresses me both uh with both you and your brother and the most about you and your brother, you know, when you sent me this list of things, uh you spent years writing these notes down and becoming a student of your game and mastering the you know, trying to trying to do everything you can to stack the, the odds in your favor. And master your craft you know that's the thing and it's always fun to watch i i personally really enjoy this because i get to go a lot of different places and hunt with different people but when i'm with someone who is really good at what they do they make it look effortless you know you're standing there and you're watching them either with their hounds or sorting out tracks or you're in an area and and that person just turns around and says hey we might as well get out of here and ride to the top of that that ridge right there because he's going to go he's going to come around those rocks he's going through that cut we might as well just go ahead and head up there you know that is such a cool thing that that i've got to experience and that's even back here coon hunting you know 
people get excited the old the the experienced houndsman you don't have to be old to be experienced um but the experienced houndsman will just seems like they're always calm they're always just they know what's going on it's going to happen yep exactly yeah yeah they they know it'll all work out and if it don't then they know where to start tomorrow that's right that's right anything else you want to throw in here cleve before we wrap this up um you know i guess that main thing is is if you're if you're out there hunting lions don't just hunt mountain lions study mountain lions it's best to study them don't just don't just be the guy that's sitting in his truck watching his gps get out there and learn everything you can about those mountain lions you know that's that's going to help you a lot more in the long run i mean gps's are nice i use mine i'm not very good at it i can get by with it but if i have problems with it i gotta call somebody that knows what they're doing because i'm just not good at it you know but yeah if you're out there hunting lines don't just hunt lines study them and have you and, read have you read path of the puma by jim williams have you yeah, read never, that book never have uh-uh. no i that is if you're a lion hunter you need to read that book jim williams was uh he is a biologist in, with montana fish wildlife and parks and he's, he's studied mountain lions all over the United States and all the way down into Argentina. The mountain lion is by far the most widely dispersed animal in North America. You know, the range has been cut down, but at one time, you know, they ha- had higher dispersion rates than any other species. And they go all the way from upper British Columbia, all the way down to Argentina. But man, you talk about learning and understanding some things about mountain lion behavior, but Jim's cool too, because he has worked with houndsmen for decades. So he's really pro hound. Yeah. Path, path of the Puma. I'll have to check that out. I have, uh, I have a lot of other ones, you know, I have, uh, John Kibler's book, Lion Tales, and I, I know him a bit. And, and then we have uh, a whole pile of other ones. We have uh, soul among lions by, uh, Harley Shaw. That's a good one yeah but i'll have to check that one out i'll have to I'll have to find that that that'd be an interesting read i'd like to read that highly recommended it, it drew me in because his writing style was unique in the way that i mean it just kept you engaged the whole book and it's not a big book but it's it's uh it's really good it's really good yeah i'll have to read that the guy yep. can always learn something from someone yep for sure always, always. well i think our audience has learned a ton from you cleve and i can't tell you how um, grateful I am that you're willing to share your knowledge and, and help other houndsmen who might aspire to chase lions and in, in dry ground, or even, you know, just lion hunting in general. So many people are stingy with their experience and their knowledge. And, and I really appreciate you sharing yours. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Oh man. Hopefully, hopefully somebody got something out of it. So yeah. 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 Let me show you how to use that. Tell you how to use that emoji thing, that filter. Put the little lion face on. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why you. I don't. I don't do these things enough to. <laughs> oh, you're gonna now. be a regular now. We gotta get it figured out. But no, seriously, we'll just end it right there. And uh, Cleve, I appreciate it. If I get out that way and we go lion hunting, I'm not even gonna turn my pot liquors loose. We'll just follow your hounds on this one, okay, buddy? That'll work. Yeah. And if I come back there, we'll we'll follow yours. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right.